Welcome to the Mike on Much Podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman, and I'm here with my friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman. Max, it's a Sunday, two days after St. Patrick's Day. We were supposed to do this yesterday. I'm moving a little <laughs> slow. Uh, For our listeners, uh, Max, you and I, if you uh, follow us on social media or Instagram. <laughs> Which I recommend. By the way, Mike on Much, Twitter, Instagram, follow us. There's gold there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we hung out uh, Friday evening, which was St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Uh, it was a good time. We were supposed to record this Saturday. Uh, I had a bit of emergency. Uh, Danica and I have two cats, but our most beloved cat... Uh, Hold on, you have favorites? Well, what, am I going to lie? Hey, it's cool. Dutch is like the cat we've had the longest. Back yeah. when I was in a band, um, I was touring a lot, and she was staying at home in the apartment alone, so I was like, we should get a cat so you have like a little friend for when I'm gone. <laughs> you know, You're that replaceable. Oh, big time. This cat's <laughs> way more cuddly, too. But so I was like, it started out as kind of like, a, oh, this will be nice for her. Yeah. This cat ended up being the sweetest, most cuddly, like best disposition you could ever imagine. And I'm sure people are already don't care to hear about my cat, but he's that <laughs> awesome. Okay. So I fell madly in love with him. This is, we're going back like five, six years now. And then like many times someone has either a dog, they want a second dog yes. or has a kid. Give me another kid. Well, here's the funny thing. During the time that Danica and I were apart, oh, yeah. and people that listen to the pod know that we, yeah, we haven't been together. There's a little hiatuses here and there. Yeah. It happens to all of us. So during one of those times, she got another cat. Uh, so this cat, Rafa. So, so Rafa doesn't really feel like yours. He's kind of my much. adopted son. He's your adopted son. That being said, I, have, I now love him uh-huh. almost as much as Dutch. But you just can't love anyway, anyone. So Dutch got Dutch. sick. He got sick. Uh-huh. So you and I were supposed to get together here at 299 yesterday. Very hungover from St. Patrick's Day. It was going to mm. be funny. And then I got this call from Danica, who was in Hamilton. She's like, Dutch is puking everywhere. And... Max, there's some things I don't fuck around with. And yeah. if Dutch is sick. You said, I, Daddy's coming home. I, we're going to solve this thing. I jumped an Uber and I was right to the bus and I, and I got home. And, and if our listeners uh, have any concern at all, D- Dutch seems to be fine. But, oh, uh, I'll keep you updated. But we're here now. Yeah. Max, so I went home. I had a nice night last night. I did some grocery shopping, got uh-huh. some candy, watched yeah. Jurassic Park. Uh-huh. You, on the other hand, decided to stay in Toronto, and I feel like double down on your weekend of uh, good times and partying. <laughs> well, okay, uh, I should set this up a little bit more, just because this weekend is a kind of a special weekend uh, because it's not only St. Patrick's Day, but it's the NCAA March Madness first weekend where there is uh, eight games a day or sixteen games on the Thursday and Friday. So, if you're a basketball fan, uh, it's an awesome excuse to like not do anything but park yourself in front of a TV, drink some beer, and watch some games. Now, I've always loved this tournament since I was a kid, but in the last four or five years, it always falls on the same week as South by Southwest. And the band has to go to South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, to play a bunch of shows. So I don't end up getting to experience March Madness. And I know for people at home, they're probably like, oh, poor you, you get to go to Austin, <laughs> Texas, and eat a lot of barbecue and play music. But I was very excited that I was going to be home this time. So um, we've been doing this thing lately, and this is actually a good sort of uh, little life hack that has been brought to us by our our friend Dan, where he just, uh, if we're going to go to Toronto, we are going to get a hotel, no matter what. Despite the fact my parents live in Toronto, and I can just crash at their place. <laughs> like, and it, literally, a lot of times the hotel is like around the corner from where my parents live anyway. Right. But there's something really fun and exciting about renting a room for of your friends, going for a swim in the afternoon, like having a home base. And if on Hotwire, you can get like a pretty good like three, four-star hotel for like, I don't know, 120 bucks. So everyone ends up paying... Um, yeah, if it's four guys, four guys, it's it's like you have your own little sleepover. It's like it's like 
you're on a school trip and you're sharing rooms and stuff. Watching it, basketball, watching eating basketball. shit food. Yeah, it's so fun. And also, I mean, we justify the cost. We're like, well, we would be spending beer money at a bar paying seven bucks a pint. Let's just get some hotel beers, and we've made the money back already. So that's what we did on Friday night, and Friday was an awesome day. Like, we went to uh, Nick in our band. He has some... Uh, well, how'd you say? Like oh, he's like a part owner in a bar in called Homestand. Got some equity in Homestand. Yeah, and so I recommend to our listeners in Toronto. It's at Ossington and Bloor. Go check it out. It's a great little sports bar. Then we went down to the Doc Ellis, and we kept on watching hoops, kept on drinking. And then where did we go after that? Did we go right to Citizen? Yeah, we went clubbing. We went clubbing. <laughs> okay, which now, is a funny development for this group. Yeah, well, and it kind of makes perfect sense too. Um, <laughs> now I want to say something. You know, full full praise to the nut. The nut has been coming through in the big ways when it comes to sorting us out when we're in Toronto. Because basically, we come to Toronto, we don't know one thing from the next. We're just a couple small-town Hamiltonian guys. We're right? pub drinkers. We're pub drinkers. But if we want to go dancing, we don't know where to go. And also, we definitely don't want to stand in line. That's definitely something <laughs> we're not doing. So we just say, Birchall, hook us up. The nut gets into work mode, starts texting all of his contacts in Toronto. Because the nut is a mover and shaker in this city. Legit? Legit. So we ended up going to this bar called Citizen. And it was the best. We had, like, bottle service. We had, like, our own booth. We had our own booth. They which, walked us through the crowd to the yeah. – like, as if we – I mean, you are somewhat important, but it's just so funny to me. Oh, it was so fun. We jumped a lineup. So we get there, and there's probably, like, 60 people out front all trying to get in. Like, was there a red carpet? It was all very weird. Was there was definitely fancy. lines. Like, we skipped the line because the nut is on his phone making things happen. Yeah, we get there. There's, like, there's bottles. There's beer. Uh, everyone's have, and also the thing about this nightclub is that if, if it was playing like really abrasive EDM music where I didn't know any of the words to the songs, I probably wouldn't have a good time. But Citizen on that night was playing a lot of like pop music and a lot of like hip hop, like some old school hip hop. So it was like perfect. It was like right in our wheelhouse. And we kind of took over the dance floor. At least in my mind, we were the stars of the night. Julian was taking his shirt off his shirt most of the time. The bouncers, who were pretty cool about it, they were like, come on, you got to put it back on. But sometimes bouncers get really indignant when Julian takes his shirt off and they act like he's like committed a felony or something. Yeah, yeah, do you know yeah, what I'm talking yeah, yeah. about? Like, do you know where you are? Yeah, and it's just like the sternest looks. But they were kind of giggling. Like I could tell they were really enjoying it. Well, our gang kind of has like, I don't think we look like club people. No. Like we're in like hoodies and funny, like just our normal clothes. Like we came from work. It was like a Friday afternoon where yeah. A lot of people, I think, get ready to go to a place like Citizen. And there's a lot of fronting at if, you, if you're, like, a dude at that club. Because, and I get it, like, if you, especially if you're, like, a young guy, you're trying to, like, pick up chicks or whatever. Like, you want, you have, like, a persona, right? Yeah, but, yeah. But, like, our persona is just, like, goofy morons, basically. And so we're just smiling. We're literally only there to drink and dance with each other. With each other. So it's, like, and we're entertaining each other. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, like you said, some people are going into that with, like, a, a facade. Or, like, they're trying to present their best self to try and meet a girl. Or girls are trying to get all dressed up. And, like, it's their big night out. Yeah, I don't know. No, exactly. And, but so Julian's doing his mime routine. He's smoking. He's pretending to smoke in the club. Yeah. Anyway, it was, it was awesome. And um, we all left and we were like super happy. We got pizza. We left you. You're like, oh, you think I'm? You think the V-Man's getting pizza? No way. I'll, I'm going to McDonald's. See you later. <laughs> you're, and you, then you just like walked out into the distance. Yeah. Uh, wait, wait, how was your McDonald's? What'd you get? Because <laughs> you have a history with this McDonald's too. Oh my God. I think I've once thrown a burger like across the street at the H&M because my brother <laughs> yeah. and I got in a fight. No, but this is like the, this is the McDonald's. The it's Queen and Spadina McDonald's. That's the, my last stop before going home after a night out drinking. 
So I, I go there. There plenty. was love in your eyes as you departed. I was so excited because I'd, I'd met you guys like right after work. You get, you'd already been kind of having a bit of a day. This yeah. is St. Patrick's uh, Day evening. And uh, so then whatever, I start drinking, but I didn't really eat much dinner. So mm-hmm. then at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm going to push this until after the bar. <laughs> like I'm saving <laughs> up all bad. of my food calories for that McDonald's, like that drunk eating on the way home. Yeah. So I went in and I couldn't decide, but I was like, and I was staring at the menu and I had a while because it was slammed in there. And I ended up going with a, a, a McChicken combo with the filet fish on the side. Ooh, that's the Mike V special. Went back to the apartment, threw on Star Trek Insurrection on the old Blu-ray <laughs> and just sloppily ate food like David Hasselhoff in that infamous video. Man, that's the most like comforting experience you could probably have. It was amazing. Trek and McDonald's. So the last part of this night was that, so we got the pizza, then we are, are Ubering back to the hotel, and then I go, you know what, I'm still hungry, let's go to that convenience, there's a 24-hour convenience store across the street, and everyone's like, nah, we don't need anything more to eat, I'm like, guys, I'm, I'm going, fuck you guys, I'm going. <laughs> so then we go, and then uh, Dan, for whatever reason, pulled out his card, and like, and Dan is a very generous guy uh, and is like happy to like spot people, I'm like, no, I'll, I'll pick up the coffee, don't worry, like he doesn't ask for money back a lot of times. And so Dan's like, I got whatever, just I'll pay for it. Just, and Dan's also like a man of efficiency. So the idea of everybody paying would probably just like annoy him because it just <laughs> slow down, you know, the process. So then Julian gets it in his head that uh, it, like just starts adding stuff and putting more and more chocolate bars. And it's not his dime up. anymore. No, not his dime anymore. <laughs> and then everyone's kind of laughing. The guy behind the counter thinks it's funny. Anyway, but like Julian's like, no, no, I want it. Well, I want all these things. And so Dan literally bought $77 worth of Holy chocolate and, and smart food and candy. And it was, but it was so funny. Like, like Dan was like, okay, I guess I'm paying for this. Anyway. That's hilarious. Well, the, I saw that on Snapchat. So when I left you guys, you were at mama's pizza or something. Yeah. Getting the slices, I was like, I do not want a slice. I want McDonald's. And then I saw on Snap later that you guys did a candy run. I was yeah. like, if I knew they were doing candy run and going back to the hotel to eat candy, well, I was like, come. I probably would have hung around. I was like, I just didn't want to eat the pizza. So that was Friday night. Oh, God, we have a whole other day? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, so the, so Saturday uh, was... I, by the way, I wish that our listeners could see Max right now because he looks like a man that's been enjoying basketball and beer for 48 hours oh, straight. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, so Saturday we had this date on the books for a long time because Coachella is coming up and uh, Dan and my roommate Al are coming to Coachella and the nut is coming to Coachella and at, at first, and now since it has ballooned to more people which we'll get to later but we may have some big pod news we may have some big pod news what a tease uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, we had we had gotten in our heads that like we need to have a meeting about Coachella Oh, like the four, like this was like a month ago. The, the four OG Coachella boys. We need a night in Toronto where we need a, me- a meeting to discuss this. And I thought we were going to go to the Leafs game and uh, discuss it there. It turns out, and I haven't really been paying attention to any other details. It turns out the nut was just going to take us to Share Club and we were going to watch the Leafs game there and discuss Coachella. Anyway. None of that happened. We ended up uh, not discussing anything Coachella. Like this morning, I was like, did we talk? Did we mention the word Coachella once? No, we didn't go to the Leafs game. We didn't go to Share Club. We were looking for St. Patrick's Day parties, and then Nut recommended we go to this place, Rebel, which is the Sound Academy, like Polson Pier, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And uh, it was a gong show there. Like, And we probably weren't quite drunk enough to really – experience it in its fullest <laughs> but it was just like because people had been drinking there since noon wow and we got there at about six thirty. and as we got out of the uber and we had like no drinks in us at this point uh 
Like there was, it was literally zombies walking out of this place. Like people were like, could not walk straight and just like, like kind of streaming out of the venue. But what I'll say is that I really took for granted all the work the nut does. Cause the nut got us in to, to rebel. We didn't have to pay or anything, but normally he's there negotiating with the bouncer or, or it's like, I need to talk to Freddie. Who's the guy hooking us up, but I had to do that work. And it's tough work. You had to do it. Because the nut wasn't there. It was just Al, Dan, and I. So you had to do all the sweet talking. I had to do, I was like, yeah. Did you drop the band? Well, they knew the band. I, but I had to like, at that point in the day, the bouncers didn't want to talk to anybody. So I was like, yeah, we know somebody like, doesn't matter. Keep it moving. So <laughs> you really feel humiliated. Anyway, shout out to the nut for doing all of our dirty work and hooking us up uh, because it ain't an easy job. I ended up walking home back to the hotel by myself. Uh, I kind of, I did a Houdini out of the bar. And we were at Early Mercy. I got out of there. And uh, the new Drake album had just come out. Big news. Big news. This just happened less than 24 hours ago. What, last night? Yeah. Okay. And uh, I was really enjoying it. It actually sounds like it's going to be a very good album. And I dropped my phone. And oh, no. my phone is now destroyed. I'm showing it to Mike right now. It is destroyed. It's, it's, it's a classic uh, 2 a.m. fumble your phone. And uh, it's all totally f***ed up. So that was how my weekend ended. <laughs> the broken phone, but wonderful memories. Yeah, I wouldn't trade a damn thing. So that was your St. Paddy's Day weekend. Yeah, shout out to The Nut, to my roommate Al, Dan, Felix, Julian, the whole Champagne Boys crew for really making it a special experience for it's us. It's like you won an Oscar. You <laughs> <laughs> doing a full speech. I'm going to start playing you off. Um, all right, Maxi Boy, this is a big episode. It is. Our guest today is Nelly Furtado. Yeah, so for, for fans of Nelly Furtado who don't know what the f*** this podcast is, and they, to, <laughs> <laughs> and they have to listen to our like mundane weekend in Toronto. Um, yeah, big, big episode. Big episode. You uh, came for this interview, which yeah. is great. We did this interview last week. She has a new album out. Yeah, and uh, Nelly Furtado is someone who's been with us in our life for like 15, 20 years now. Absolutely. I, you know, it's funny. I posted a, a photo on my Instagram uh, of you and I with Nelly Furtado almost right after the interview. Cause I was like, I was pretty excited. And the thing is, it's like, I know obviously Nelly is huge and, and pretty iconic and has a million hits. Uh, but I was actually a little surprised at how quickly my Instagram like blew up. You know what I mean? Cause I'm like, Oh yeah. I'm like, everybody loves Nelly Furtado. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, she crosses over sort of every barrier. She's not divisive in the way that people are like, we'll have opinions on artists. Like everybody enjoys Nelly Furtado. It's true. And you know, I know she is like an international pop star she's sold like 100 million records but and maybe i'm just projecting here but i think because she's canadian and she's has surrounded herself with just good canadian friends and and maintains that sort of canadian sensibility and like friendliness and openness like she did not strike me for a second as like any kind of like prima donna like because sometimes you will and i think we've talked to people in this situation who've been living in a certain world for a while and it like there is a disconnect between their life and the rest of reality yeah it just and i don't blame them it's only because they've been living in this weird vortex it's the reality of their situation the reality of the situation but um nelly Furtado strikes me as somebody who like she kind of she, she's she's very charismatic and very energetic and has a lot of ideas but like just strikes me as like someone who could li be living in my neighborhood and it's just this is like a sweet like smart, ambitious person. Yeah, she had a, a genuine kindness yeah. that came through. You yeah. know, like she she just was a pleasure to hang out with, and she was open yeah. uh, about her career. And you know, we talked about the massive success of Loose, yeah. and how that basically shot her to a whole other level with all these sort of major pop hits and then arena touring. And you know, it was interesting when she talked about how calculated that was, or if that was something 
if that was a level she wanted to ascend to. Yeah, and she seemed, because uh, she's had an interesting career, just sort of, I guess, thankful for her situation, like appreciative of all the different experiences she gets to have as a result of her, so maybe some of her earlier success. And just is like, I don't know, just has a, her, her worldview seems like very good and spot on. Yeah, it, I feel like uh, her success has afforded her the luxury of creating when she wants to create and yeah. sort of be a true artist where it's like, you know, she's taking writing classes or she talked about taking acting classes in the past. I think she's just a very creative person that um, because of her success is allowed to just pursue those avenues whenever she wants or whenever uh, the muse strikes. Hey, yeah, yeah, we couldn't have said it any better. Sorry, that was weird. <laughs> That's funny. Max has struggled a bit. It's been 48 hours. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. Okay, yeah, let's <laughs> yeah. get to this interview. <laughs> Will I get to Nelly Furtado? Yes, please. Congratulations, you guys have blown up. We're just, you know, and working away. I saw you guys that night. I'm like, they're rad. Yeah, I was like, thanks. you know, because you were more ago. in the first few years. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, wow, they sound amazing. Yeah. Like, I was like, they're amazing. They were, you guys were really nice. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Kells <laughs> are making things happen. Uh, we're just working, working Congratulations. away. Congratulations. Thanks. But anyway, so Mike Happy works in the you. building. Oh, thank you. Um, and we have this podcast where we just wanted to talk Good to artists. You. And because I'm obsessed with podcasts. Is it as fun as you thought it would be? The podcast? <laughs> yeah. It has been. It has been. It's like, like okay, going to be episode like 55. We've been lucky enough to have so many amazing people. That's amazing. And the thing is, we're both huge fans of podcasts. Like he commutes from Hamilton, so he's on the bus oh. listening. So we, we so I'm we like to drive there. Is it a hard drive from? No. There? When are you going? <laughs> it's easy. Tomorrow. Just oh, don't go during on? a rush hour. Oh, I'm just visiting a friend. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. We live in Hamilton, <laughs> so if you need any recommendation, well, I'm yeah. sure your friend has You take it. the QEW? Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. I take the train or the go bus. Yeah, it's straight. Train? The go train? Yeah, yeah the go train and go bus. Oh, maybe I'll take the train. That's not you know, that would be rush a trip if Union Nelly Station. Furtado gets on the go train. <laughs> that would be awesome. I yeah. like the train to Montreal, the other uh, yeah, train. The yeah, the rail. Yeah. rail, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Let's start this thing. Okay. All right. Well, I kind of want to start because we were watching the short film for the ride. Okay. And then the video yeah. uh, for Pipe My Dreams. Yeah, Joaquin Johnson did that movie. Yeah, well, like aesthetically, it's very nostalgic just with sort of the VHS vibe. Oh, yeah, the Pipe Dreams video? Yeah. Yeah, that's Jake even, Elliott. Yeah, even The short film, though, had a lot of that VHS vibe and then it old did, footage. It did, actually, yeah. So I guess the question would be, did was that your idea? Where that concept come from? <laughs> and is that representative of the album overall? Is it like a sort of a nostalgic feel and um, sort of a ride? If you will. That's a good question. Um, yeah, the aesthetics. Yeah, they're they are kind of eclectic. And honestly, my friend Joaquim, who did the photos and the art direction on my album shoot, which was done in Dallas with local artists and visual artists doing the set design. Samantha McCurdy did the 3D art that's on the cover of my album. I mean, Jake Elliott did the music video, another visual artist who's featured in the movie. So Joaquim, I invited Joaquim in early days because, you know, your artists like... You have to start the creative process early. And as soon as I got to Dallas, I was working with John Congleton, who was introduced to me for, by Annie from St. Vincent. And I knew I wanted him. He produced the record. He produced an entire album. Yep. And, I, and I really loved his sound. But as soon as I got to Dallas, I really felt this sense of community. And it was there was something in the air. It was like um, a really great artistic vibe. And so I invited Joaquim down right away. So he was there while I was making the record. And that's why there's this sort of like... It's very organic, everything I'm doing for it visually. It's very, very just true to what the music is. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Because I feel like the album's very reflective. And yeah, there is something about the lo-fi quality of some of those older 
analog um, devices. I mean, and Joey always walks around with a yeah. He was following me around from summer, so there's even stuff at the VH1 Hip Hop Awards. Yes, like, he's I filming me that. on the little camcorder. And Jake as well. Like I had video directors reach out to me and be like, "What did he record that on?" And it's actually not a VHS camera. It's um a different kind of. Uh, I forget the name or the, the name of the film right this second, but it's another kind of camera, but it's also old. It's not an effect, um, though. It's like actually it's shot not an on effect. A, no, no, wow. no. It's shot on a, he only had one tape type of thing. This is a, he's 23. So he had like a tape that he recorded something over. Him and uh, Pierre Krauss, she's a really cool Dallas-based artist, edited the video. So I like people that are just, I really feel like you can put all the bells and whistles, you can have a studio full of technology it does not mean you're going to sit there and make anything good. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like real creativity sometimes comes from nothing and you have nothing and you inspired and then you make something, you know? And I, I for me personally, that's the case. I like to kind of have things be minimal, you know, and then kind of let the inspiration just kind of bubble up naturally. Mm. The day before I shot Pipe Dreams, I was in Dallas. I was recording music for an installation thing I did with my friend for Art Basel, but I was there recording with Adam Pickerel. We're driving to his home studio. I see these pink signs, estate sale, small house, not a huge house. Stopped because I thought, oh, she, there's probably cool stuff in here. I want to buy stuff. So we stopped and it was this amazing home. And you can tell this lady who was named Edna Sue. She had like monogram, like pins, like custom made. She had a great life. She went to this university. She, you could see there were letters from the dean about her grades. Like, and you could tell, you know, she lived a long life and a happy life. And she had all these cool objects in her home. And I just, something inside me just told me to ask the, the woman in charge of the sale if I could make a video there. I was like, can, can we come back and record a video tomorrow? Um, <laughs> tomorrow. I'll pay a hundred bucks. And she was like, yeah, sure. Here's my number. And so I told Jake, I'm like, yeah, you know how we're doing a video tomorrow? I, I found a location because we didn't have a location. Did she recognize you? Like, did she know who she you did, were? She did, yeah, but they were chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. the other thing. Like, people are so chill. Like In, in the South. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's real, that Southern sort of, I don't know, kindness. And so Jake and I came back the next day with <laughs> like, <laughs> like our friend assisting and we... They just tore down all the pink signs and, and we recorded in the house, but it felt so organic because the song, it's amazing how sometimes when you follow your instincts, you get the right product, the right thing, because the song is really about illusions, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're romanticizing Edna Sue's life, right? I'm in her living room, like, <laughs> there's Edna Sue's TV and I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm holding her hat and here's her chandelier and we're like, we're coming up with our own interpretation of what her life might have been, right? Yeah. Which is what art is about, right? Like, it's like, it's all interpretations and regurgitations like right now I'm doing well I'm doing but I started writing something that has very much to do with the fascination about maybe somebody you idolize which is like a favorite musician of mine because I started taking this playwriting class last year which I think affected my songwriting because in a play you have to see every scene as this poignant moment and Mm -hmm. you have to distill each moment so um even that is i'm playing with i love the idea of like the fantasy of who somebody might be versus like the the reality reality. i think that's just so constantly inspiring yeah you know so cool never meet your idols because you'll be let down yeah i mean totally 100 percent, like 100 yeah how did you meet saint vincent and did she convince you to work with john oh my god that's a great segue yeah it's so embarrassing (laughs) do you want to hear yeah of course (laughs) i I love a good saint vincent story i'm a pop artist you know i've done pop albums and i've done dance records and and whatever all these different things hip-hop whatever it is i'm on tour uh my album's uh spirit indestructible my last english language album i'm in tokyo 
and I'm at Summer Sonic music. Have you played Summer Sonic never, music festival in Tokyo? Been, never been over there. Go there. Yeah. It's such a good one. And magically, because it's Japan and and it's like super eclectic, I'm playing the same stage as St. Vincent, who I'm already obsessed with at that point. I love her music. <laughs> I'm like scheduled it in. I'm going to be watching St. Vincent <laughs> like a hawk. And Side I, stage. Yes. And I watch her set because my gig's not until a couple hours later. As I'm standing backstage, kind of about to go on my merry way, she runs off the stage looking like the goddess she is, all sweaty in her perfect outfit. <laughs> and she goes, hi. And I'm like, hi. And then she's like, I'll come talk to you in your room. I'm going to knock on your dressing room. And I'm like, huh, okay. <laughs> I'm in my dressing room. Let's paint a picture. My room is full of clothing, okay? And shoes and jewelry, because I'm singing a song about earrings at the time called Big Hoops. Yeah, yeah. And, so, <laughs> and so she walks in. The Japanese, the label in Japan had made a cardboard cutout of my head at another promotional <laughs> event. It's sitting like at eye level, like in our room, because it's funny. She walks in, she looks at the picture and she goes, oh, you look really pretty there. And what do I say? Because I'm so nervous to meet this goddess. I say, oh yeah, thanks. Do you want it? And I give her a cardboard <laughs> cutout of my head. <laughs> She, so nerdy. That's so funny. Did she, she take it like awkwardly? It. Like, yeah, oh, cool. she's so nice. Like, she's from Texas. She took it and goes, Oh, thank you. <laughs> I saw her a year later and she said, I saw that in my storage room the other day. That's <laughs> so funny. So eventually I, I built up the nerve to ask her to, you know, introduce me to her producer, which is like, Can I meet your boyfriend? Right? Because yeah, she did yeah. four albums with him. Sure, yeah. But she was so nice. And when I met John, we hit it off and then it all began. We started making an album together. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, I always wonder, you know, with artists that are super successful. Sorry, that story was so long. No, No, it's great. (laughs) Get down to it. The nitty gritty. I am sorry. (laughs) With um, artists that are super sort of successful, I always wonder sort of their level of sort of work and work ethic. And, you know, some love being on the road, you know, like (laughs) others love like making records. You know, some distance themselves from the music and sort of find other passions outside Mm -hmm. of that. Where do you find you fall on that spectrum? That is such a good question. I had to find the love again for just craft, just making stuff. And that was a journey for me because for a long time, I mean, I started 20 years ago. I signed my first deal in 98. Yeah. This is my sixth album. So between then and now, so much has happened. I mean, I already, I became a mother when I was 24. So like I already had a family and was out like touring with my family. <laughs> like It was crazy times for a while. Building a career in the middle of sort of the hottest ascension while being a mother as well. Yeah, busy times, like very busy. So you, you really don't have much time to kind of reflect. Um, and once I got off that wheel, uh, very quickly I started to realize well, then I went into a phase of like, I'm a I'm the head of my own business and I had a label and I was signing artists, which was fun. But then I started to feel more like a company figurehead and not an artist. Mm. And I really missed the person that would just float around her living room and write a song. It's you like know? the business of music became more prevalent yeah, than the it artistry. Did. Yeah, it did. And I, and I didn't realize it. Um, but then I started meeting organically all these interesting artists that were doing doing it both like really do and I, and I'd already started working on my record but then I did I did this project called the David the David Byrne color guard project and it, it was it toured through a week in New York and um and um in Toronto for Illuminado and at that event I met Dev Hines so Blood Orange we connected right away we did a song for his album we recorded and all of a sudden through my conversations with him I realized wow this is like a really great mentor because he was already realizing that a life of touring nonstop was not for him 
and that he would rather do more interesting, smaller things and keep his creativity flowing and keep his heart happy. He's the type of guy to walk around with his tape recorder and walk around with his camera and just take pictures around the city. Like he still has the creative juices flowing. And I, and I just kind of went, well, I, I could do that too. Like I don't, I, I can now take the time to do the things that I really crave, such as taking a playwriting class or doing a sound installation for my friend's piece at Art Basel. Or this year I got to do a songwriting installation at MoMA PS1 through somebody I met through Dev. His name's Ryan McNamara. He's a performance artist. He did a dance installation for my show at Fashion Week in September in return. He said, come, you can have a room. I mean, this is like a dream thing, right? Like you can have a room at MoMA PS1 for my event. And I'm thinking, wow, like this is so cool. So I said, that's great. And he said, you can do anything you want. And I said, I know, I have an idea. So because of my, when I traveled to Kenya, um, working with we.org, formerly Free the Children. Yep. Um, when I work there, I'm, I always bring my guitar. I wrote three of these songs in Kenya, actually, on my new album. And, and I, I do songwriting workshop. So I'll work with like these high school age girls and we sit in a room and we talk about the craft of a song and we all end up writing a song together. But it just exists in that moment. We might perform it for their right. parents and then it's over. So, for the MoMA thing, I decided to do this thing and I called it, um, I called it like co-creation, songwriting and empathic instance because I wanted to explore the idea of empathy in a song. So I brought in about 80 strangers in the course of three hours in 15 minute blocks and we sat and I had a guitar and I tape recorded it and would give them the cassette afterwards. But they sometimes had limited music ability or none at all, but they would talk about their dreams. They would talk about their favorite vacation. And from that flowed um, and emerged a song and we would finish it within the 15 minutes and, or at least, you know, a semblance of a song. And what I was trying to explore was like, where does inspiration come from? Right. We're all like, where does, what's the idea of the muse? Like what's the collective unconscious? Like why, why do we feel connected to a person we walk by on the street? Right. And I wanted to see if the well would run dry. It didn't at all. It just expanded. And I wanted to see, or, or like this, I wanted to, um, I wanted the compassion to emerge as an entity in a song. Right. Mm. So people would cry all of a sudden. Like when you'd sing certain melodies and words about what they were talking about or laugh. And like in one group, people were like arguing. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I was just curious. I was like, what is what is this psychic connection we clearly share? Like that's why we all feel each other and we feel songs together and we sing songs, you know? Yeah. And I and I just think it's unexplored. But I think it's key. Like I still think like... I still think art can like change the world. There's like a collective unity that you're trying to tap into. Yes. And explore sort of yes. with song, right? Yeah. That is unseen but is there. Like you feel it. It's Oh, thanks. I need to record you saying that. <laughs> you, you explain it way better than He's me. He's the host. Dude. Damn it. <laughs> um, ramble, ramble, gurgle, 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 tandrum, tandrum. <laughs> As one thing can, that can you say that again on my voice notes? <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that's sort of really interesting is it's like I think in your career trajectory, you know, I think it's like you start off as sort of the people maybe view you as this sort of folksy girl and then into this sort of international pop star, which is sort of an interesting jump anyway, right? Yeah. From like folklore to loose. When that's happening, do you feel the transition? Do you know you're making a leap into something completely different? <laughs> no, not really. Really? I, cause, no, because I was raised to see music as this democratic language you know like i, I wasn't raised with the genre because i i was born i was raised playing instruments i played horns i played trombone you sit in front of a piece of paper and you play the black notes right mm. 
I mean, there's no yeah. genre when you're sitting down and playing a composition, you know? There's really no genre if you think about it. My grandfather, he composed music. He was a marching band conductor. So I think when you play in an ensemble for that long, you really don't see genre. You don't. You're just like, I'm singing notes and melodies and... Mm -hmm. I love it all. I love R&B. I love hip hop. I love rap. I love alternative. I love folk. There's different levels of low success, right? Like, because the kind of success that comes with an album like Loose is almost different because it is such a... <laughs> kind like, of be careful what you wish for type thing. Yeah. yeah like it's, like a, it's like a superstar realm. You're right. Realm. You're absolutely right. And I did plan that, though. That's I what did. I'm getting at. You're right. I planned that completely. I didn't think it would work. No, I, it wasn't... <laughs> I was like, whoa, that like, works. Best case scenario. <laughs> that was so weird. Yeah. What happened was... I did folklore, I did well now, and this is what happened. I experienced the feeling of playing live shows with my material, right? So, whoa, Nelly, all these different instruments, crazy pastiche, right? And then folklore. And I always felt like those songs were so segmented that they never sounded good in larger venues. Mm. And I was like, this is annoying. Like, I want material that sounds better in arenas, and I want to play arenas. And so I pictured myself doing an album called Loose, which is super weird, I know. But I pictured it. I was like, I, I want to do an album called Loose. I want to prove to myself that I can make a more um, broad-sounding album that will translate well in a larger venue. And then, I guess, it. I was fiddling around for a while with different people writing before I got together with Timbaland again, reunited with him, and we made Loose. And then, voila, I got the experience. But then it was hard because it was such a large promo run and a lot of touring. And I ended up... Um, it's like a different machine. Quite fatigued. Yes. Also, stylistically, I mean, the material needed a level of performance that I had to... Um, I had to learn how to do, right? I had to become comfortable doing large choreographed performances on television. I was taking acting classes at the time and I... It helped me because I had to project the persona of the songs, which is very difficult because sure. they're quite larger than life. Well, physically, so it's, it's totally different you animal have to than dance. just standing there with your guitar. Totally. Choreography. Um, yeah, it was a very um, draining <laughs> at the end. It's a whole new skill set, really. Because oh like, when you're learning how to talk yeah. to somebody in the top bowl of an arena, that, yeah. that's a whole different skill set than comparing yeah. than a coffee house or whatever. You're so, so right. Yeah. Like I was like pointing, <laughs> like even like when you point forward and you're like pointing at the audience, you don't realize that you, you There's can, so much more audience. Yeah, you have to like you have to really think about what you're doing and execute things in a certain way. Um, so it was actually quite fun for me. That's what I was going to ask. Was it enjoyable in the moment or were you like, what have I got myself into? <laughs> um, it was fun. I feel like I was just trying to keep up with it, sure. to be honest. I was just like, I got to keep up with this, you know, yeah. like this is, Ooh, this is quite the horse. It's quite the speed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Whoa. <laughs> so I, I'm adaptable and I like, I like challenge, which helps, you know? Um, I like, a, I like a challenge. I like like, Oh wow. I have to perform in front of like, a home audience of however million right now. Like, how do I dig in? And but I like to feel terror. Like it's sure. weird. It's almost like um, set yourself up to do something that you know. It's like once you commit to it, you have to do it, whether you're ready that's or not. That's what it is. And that's then jump what it in is. And, and yeah. work it out once you're there. Even working with John was terrifying. I mean, he he had never done a pop album. Mm. Like it, for us, it was quite a risk for him and for me because he's quite a critically acclaimed producer who only works with pretty much alternative and rock and punk and things like that. And 
I'd, I knew, I don't know, I just had this voice inside that was like, I need to produce an album with John Congleton. Is <laughs> where we got one more question. One more? Yeah. I'll do shorter answers. Do <laughs> yeah, yes and no. Rapid fire. I guess I'll, I guess we'll finish on this so people can get to know you a bit. But I mean, like, you know, <laughs> when you're not being sort of like Nelly Furtado public person. Yeah. Like, what does your home life look like? Who who are you sort of in essence when you're not performing or I doing this whole funny. thing? funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sarcastic. And I'm also, mm, uh, I'm, I'm like, I, I don't know. What's I'm your day to day look like? Are you walking your daughter to school? Yeah. Are you meeting yeah. up with friends? Are Literally, you writing every just day? like making... Last night I worked all day and I came home and made some salmon. No, where were where you working? <laughs> Here in Canada, oh, like that's in right. Toronto, Doing I did press. a promo day. Yeah. So I got home, I made some salmon, nice. some broccoli for for my daughter and my friend, and we we ate it together. And then we watched Shit's Creek three episodes. <laughs> yes, that's hilarious. We've had uh, Annie Murphy who plays the daughter on the show. I yeah. love her. Yeah, yeah. she's great. She's oh my friend. god, that show makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. No, I I like I'm pretty quiet. I like I like quiet stuff, but I'm I'm curious, so I like to just be in environments where I can observe people and things, and I, I listen to music for fun again, which is so great. Is there anything you love currently? Right? Yes, now? Canadians. Canadians doing cool stuff. Like I love River Tiber. Oh, cool. I love Mustafa Ahmed, who I've known since he was 15. So I have a River um, Tiber story for you. Tell actually. me, Tommy. Tell, tell me story. So uh, I went to high school at Harvard Collegiate up the street in Toronto. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Harvard and Bathurst. Okay. And a classmate of mine, a girl named Alex, uh, she knew I was really interested in making music. I was like, I was 16 years old. Yeah. And she said, well, I have a younger brother who's like kind of a virtuoso and, we, and our, my parents have bought him a bunch of recording gear. If you want to come to our place, you can record some songs. So the first like demos really I ever did, I went over, I met this kid, Alex's brother named Tommy, who was like 11. I was 16. Oh my God. He was like 11 or 12. <laughs> like he was literally, but he was like a little whiz kid. And he was like running the board and like- In the basement, right? In the basement. In their home. Yeah, yeah. in their home, in the West End. And- His uh, parents sound super cool. Yeah, super nice family. <laughs> and then anyway, turns out uh, Tommy turned into River Tiber. And he went to Berkeley, I think, and like is very accomplished. And he's been like making beats like Drake's used and like- He's like very cool. Right. Such good taste. Yeah, and like Great immaculate taste. taste. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, it's so funny. I was like, and I've seen. We've Tommy. been writing together. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, but I've, I was his first writing partner because he was 11. That is so rad. I love Tro true Toronto music stories. Yeah. They, There's I've, a lot of them I've out there. I've been in this city since I was 17. Yeah. Yeah, my first gig was at the Cameron House. Yeah, oh, right nice. around the corner. It really was. Actually, yeah. Brian West did a song on a record. No, we didn't. Yeah, he's a great producer. Yeah, sweet sweetheart great too. Great producer. Yeah, great ear. Yeah. All right, we're, we're getting the wrap. All right, we gotta go. Sorry. Sorry. No, thank <laughs> you so you much for your time. Forever. Yeah, thank we'll just you. keep doing this. Really, thanks so much. <laughs> thank you, Nelly. Thanks to you both. Welcome to everybody's favorite part of the show, The Dessert, where our friend and pop culture aficionado Shane Cunningham comes on and talks about maybe some music, maybe some movies, or just something going on in his life. Shane, how are things? They're very good. But I guess 
there was a lot of Instagram posts, right, where we were kind of teasing Save It for the Pod, and people were like, oh, this is going to be great. Yes, yes. So some context for our listeners. Uh, we had posted to the Mike Unwatch Instagram a screen grab of a text conversation between Shane, Max, the nut, myself, where the nut was apologizing profusely for an incident that had happened the night before. We sort of said Save It for the Pod and teased it <laughs> until we could talk about it. Anyway, the backstory is our friend Jug is uh, having a baby boy. He's like the first of all of our friends to have a kid. So we threw uh, a diaper party uh, for him, uh, I guess is what you do at our age. And uh, yeah, so it was at my place um, and everybody was there. Shane, the nut. There was a shit ton of diapers, no pun intended. There was, there really was though. Like, Jack had a funny uh, Instagram post. Like, he's like surrounded like by diapers, like 10 feet tall. He's like, this should get me through the first week. We, we made a throne out of the diapers, like the boxes of diapers. You weren't there actually, Max. I had a double date. I couldn't. Miss. And you don't get harassed all night when you do that. Yeah. Some people are able to fly under the radar a little bit more than others, I guess. I don't know. So, like, <laughs> I had gotten killed for the last uh, champagne-sanctioned event, which was the pub crawl. <laughs> and I got in a lot of trouble, like, mental stress, everything that thing was caused me to, to miss it. And then... Uh, you know, I had the excuse of, you know, my wife wasn't feeling well. And, uh, you know, that, that excuse blew up my face. And this day of the diaper party, I really wasn't feeling well. This is me personally. I, I was going through my weird butt problem. <laughs> so if you've been listening uh, to the last few episodes, you know that Shane's uh, been having some bowel issues that he's uh, been trying to get to the bottom of. <laughs> yeah, my asshole's just been like hurt, bothering me a lot. <laughs> and then another asshole's been bothering me a lot. <laughs> the nut. So, so I'm like, I'm going to go to the diaper party and just be low key. Just be, uh, what do they call that? A wallflower. Just kind of chill. And everything we're at the age too, where everything's an event and there's just so many events in our life that every weekend is just like, Oh, there's a party here. And then it's my 30th and then it's this and that. So I'm really not getting sick of going out, but I'm just, if I'm not feeling well, I'm certainly dreading it. So I go to the diaper party give the diapers. Everything's going well. I'm kind of like, I'm not drinking a lot. I'm just drinking like uh, gin and water. But then some people are noticing that I'm just holding water. It's like, oh, what are you drinking there? Just a water night, buddy? Just the water? Mike was one of these people too. <laughs> but everyone's like noticing what's in my glass. And they, they were very light drinks too. But anyway, uh, all of a sudden get into a little debate over, like I find it like I'm getting into debate. I'm like angry at these parties now because especially when I'm sick. <laughs> but all of a sudden a topic comes up and, like, you know, sometimes at these parties, there's just the stupidest f***ing debates going on. <laughs> yeah, this happens, and, like, every <laughs> you go out. yeah. And then some I, I can't resist. I try to refrain. But someone brought up, hey, who here is circumcised or not? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think it came out of a conversation because uh, our friend Jug's having a boy. And then it was like, All right, do, you, do you circumcise uh, your boy? Do you not? Uh, which was sort of the, the impetus or the genesis of that discussion and then yeah. became a huge topic yeah literally of someone's like no no put up a hand who here is circumcised or not put your hand up if you're uh uh uncircumcised and then to my surprise there was a lot of uncircumcised guys at this party i'm like oh no we're outnumbered because normally the circumcised guys win in this but then it was about even so then i'm like hey like you know i i like being a circumcised guy a girl's have complimented me on it and you never hear a girl saying i'm so glad you're not circumcised but everyone was so riled up and then i was like hey but guys i would never if i had a child i wouldn't circumcise him and then but then that all got drowned out because you know in this day and age it's actually 
common to not be circumcised. It's kind of cruel and unusual punishment to do it, and people have realized that. But anyway, that was the first little roadblock <laughs> I had, and it kind of like made me a little like, oh, I'm already getting into f-ing arguments, and I'm already not feeling well. And you're circumcised. And, and, and I'm circumcised, and now it's kind of gone out of fashion. But, <laughs> but we uh, then it's like, oh, we'll go to a bar. My plan is to go to the next bar. So I don't get harassed for leaving the party without going to the bar. Go to the bar, kind of chill, and then sneak the f*** out of there. Yeah, Houdini, as they say. But then the nut, we'll call him, gets on me about uh, how I need to advance like our career like on the pod and my personal career and my brand. And I'm like, uh-oh, where's this heading? So I had an opportunity to go to an event. To represent the pod. Yes, I could have gone with the nut. But I wasn't feeling well, and this event, for a lack of a better way to word it, is it was a taco-eating competition. And my tummy was hurting very bad, and so was my butthole. So I didn't really want to go to this event. And then I proceeded to be harassed how I don't care about being a millionaire. I'm going, <laughs> I'm going nowhere with my career. I'm basically a loser. And then... <laughs> You know, and I was supposed to paint my house the next day, too. And then I'm actually starting to feel like a loser who's not going anywhere with his career. So I'm like, okay, let's talk to my wife. He's like, I'll call your wife. (laughs) I'm like, okay, if she says it's okay, then I'll do it. And then Alex is like, absolutely not. (laughs) Like, my wife says, we're painting the house. Shane can't do this. And she's kind of has my back a little bit because I've warned her, if you get a call, just say no. Like, you can't do it. (laughs) You'll be doing me a favor. (laughs) So then he's really riding her. And then she starts like the cracking a little bit. And she's like, well, I don't, if he wants to go, I guess I'm not going to stop him. And then I actually am like, well, I'm not really not feeling well. I'm really pissed off, but I will go to this burrito competition and it will probably ruin my next day and ruin my next week, but I'll, I'll do it. I sneak out of there. I'm, I'm in a huff. I'm like upset. Like this is going to ruin my week. Like literally I'm going to get so sick at this thing. It's going to affect my whole week, but I have to do it because I want to do stuff to help all of us the way the nut framed it. Then I get a call the next next morning from the nut just profusely apologizing <laughs> and saying that he's a f-ing loser and that he f- <laughs> and, and then then he was texting everyone and we ended up like screen grabbing it and putting it on yeah. um, Instagram which is hard because sometimes the nut wants to be talked about and sometimes he doesn't like sometimes <laughs> I, like I was like the nut like this isn't a re- our lives aren't a reality show and he went yes it is <laughs> 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 so when it was on the Instagram, it's kind of like a taste of his own medicine. It's like, oh, you want to be a reality show? Here it is for the public. So I thought I would have to mention that on this week's or else we'd be teasing it on yeah. Instagram. Maybe no one cares. Good tease. No. I thought I would say what that was all about. The nut does everything big. Like he makes a big scene, you know, at a diaper party. He makes a big scene in the next the next morning as an apology. Like everything is is like with all of his emotion and might. Well, ironically... I found out this like days later. You ended up going to this burrito eating competition. I did. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I because I care about my career. I don't want to be a failure, man. <laughs> that's it. That's all. Uh, that's our episode. Thanks so much for listening. You know, uh, when we started this pod, we knew that it's you know the medium of podcasting is a very niche genre. 
and uh, a lot of people don't know about podcasts or know how to download them or know where to find them. Um, but there's a whole campaign, hashtag Tripod, which encourages people who already listen to podcasts to tell their friends about a podcast that their friend might listen want, might want to listen to, but doesn't know how to get it. So, hashtag Tripod. Recommend your favorite podcast to your friends and download it for them on their phone because it ain't rocket science. You can follow us at Mike Much on Instagram and Twitter. The Mike Much Podcast is produced by Max Kerman. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend. Boom. <laughs>